it's lights out, and away we go. Welcome to an American's Guide to Formula One. Now let's start the show. Wait for the last downshift, and we're live again with another episode of An American's Guide to Formula One. I'm Andy Lewis, and I'm joined via in live in person with my Papa T Sauce, aka Tim Lewis, coming from the uh, the kitchen studio, kitchen table studio yeah, in Grand Junction, CO. Um, yeah, sorry for the delay. One five zero five. Lay it out there, pops. Yeah, nine seven zeros. There we go. Um, yeah, sorry for the delay in getting this episode out, but it's for good reason. We knew we'd be able to do it live, which I think is just always a better sound, always a better time to be. I always enjoy it more hanging out with, with my dad live, and I think it's uh, it's fun. So sorry about the wait, but let's dive right in to what was a wet and wild Japanese Grand Prix this year. Yep, it was really... Um Emphasis on the wet. The wet. And the wild. Well, the wild. Yeah. We have to, let's get into it and talk about it. Uh, So we we started on enters in pretty wet conditions, and then that quickly with lots of spins and chaos. and Well, um, the rain picked up. And the rain picked up. And I think they knew that the rain was picking up, and they were trying to get the race started before the, the rain really came in. They got one lap. Good job. Um, but we had some pretty gnarly spins from some pretty close calls and, uh, they, I think they definitely did the right, right call and red flag the event pretty quickly, which at the time I was very disappointed and I was actually sitting in a very crowded bar, uh, with, with Matty O'Patty, as many of you guys know, we went down to try and watch the, the Denver F1 fan club does a live event and we tried to go down, of course. The first time we end up going to it, it's it's something where it gets red flagged for <laughs> two hours. <laughs> I got tired of sitting in a crowded bar that was super noisy, and I couldn't hear what any of the commentators were saying. So I just uh, pedaled my bike home, and, and luckily, right when I was getting home, they were about to start. I got the 10-minute warning that they were going to start, so I was like, oh, I'll just stay up. Because for here in, in us in the States and in Colorado, I think it was – the race started at 11 p.m., but then it actually started at 1.30. But once it got going, I was I was wide awake to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it was a wild and crazy night for sure. Um, <clears throat> but we have to talk about we'll just go we'll just go top down in the order and kind of how the race was won. How was how did Max get into P1? Because he definitely didn't qualify P1. Well, I guess it's multifactorial. He's good. He's got the best equipment. What do you think? I think it, I mean, it was, it was, it's so hard with Max because I don't like the style in which he races, but it inevitably, it it works. Oh no, Max did, Max did qualify P1. But Leclerc got the much better start. That's what it was. So Max did qualify P1, but he was on the wet, wetter side of the track. Usually the clean side of the track when it's dry, but it was the wetter side. And so Leclerc got a better start. Um, but Max, you know, in his normal fashion, he just was on the outside. He was out. You know, he lost the corner technically, but he has this. I don't know if it's rem- uh, it's a commitment to a turn. That I think nobody else has, and it's it. And we talked about this a lot last year when it was him and Lewis racing, where Max just basically says, "I'm going, and you can go too, and we can have an incident." Well, they talk about it as him just having excessive amounts of confidence, (laughs) and I guess when you do have the best race car. With the best aerodynamics, um, that's a little easier to do. Well, and the results bear the confidence. Yeah. You know, like it's not like he's – there's some – I mean, Alonzo's a great driver, don't get me wrong, and he has been in the, a great driver, but there, there, there's also times where he's extremely confident and isn't having a race to back up the confidence or isn't having a season to back up the confidence. 
there are plenty of drivers like that, you know, that I can think of even some of Vettel's moments, you know. Um, but Max is Max is cashing all the checks he's writing. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. yeah, like, but it is like, and I, I mean, who, I, there's probably people screaming at their radios or their iPhones right now because that maybe is the defining characteristic that makes him a good driver. I just think it's, it stands out. He's not, it's, it, it seems atypical to a lot of the ways the other drivers drive. And I don't well, like it. Isn't the level of confidence relative? I mean, put Max in, say, a Williams. I don't know. I think I think he would. The thing is, is I think he's going to drive whatever car he has to the best of his ability. And But I think other people talk about this, that you need to have confidence in your car to then extract the ultimate performance. Because let's make no, let's, like, let's not be, let's beat around the bush here. Perez has the same car. And he's he's nowhere near Max's level. Although Perez had a, another fantastic result and a great race, and a darn good weekend coming off of the win in in uh, Singapore, which he should have. But uh, there, I mean, Max is pulling out 10, 20 second gaps over his teammate. Well, the thing there is, when you're talking about driver skill alone, I mean, there's no question that Red Bull is the pinnacle of performance. Right as now. far as the equipment goes, as far as right now. downforce and uh, holding on the tires. Track, and, and conditions. The, track it's conditions. It's good in all conditions. It's and, good at every um, circuit. But a driver who can minimize the weaknesses, minimize the effects of a weak, minimize the weakness characteristics of a car and yet identify where they're strong and then maximize that, that's that's a driver that yeah. can figure that out and then use it. Uh, so would he do as well in a Williams? Probably not. He can have confidence in the Williams to a point, but not to the level of that yeah. he would have in the Red Bull. And it was a, to, for my fact checkers, it was a 27-second gap that he had over Perez at the end of the race. Yeah. 27 seconds. Nearly half a minute. It's crazy. That's a crazy... Like I said, the only thing I don't like more than Max is how good Max actually is. <laughs> like, it makes me... It's like you can't deny how talented of a racing driver Max is. Well, wait a second now. Uh, Leclerc was a, ha was a half a minute behind Perez, wasn't he? Well, that he also got a penalty. Yeah, well, okay, so... He would. He's right there with Perez. I mean, that's why he 26, got the penalty. 27 seconds. You know, why would Perez push? I mean, there. This is the time of the season where you kind of have to be a little careful with your equipment. Why would he be pushing to get yeah. past Leclerc? Yeah. No. Why would he? Why would he be pushing to get past Max? Well, he wouldn't be, but he was behind Leclerc up until the last turn of the Grand Prix. Well, wait a second. I thought it. He Leclerc lost was 30 seconds behind him. No. Or is that behind the leader? That's behind the leader. Oh, uh, never mind, uh, Roger. Well, let's now that we've we've broached the subject, let's talk about Leclerc's yet another blunder, like his many mistakes this season that ended up costing him the world title and Ferrari the world title. But w we you want to you want to take this one or you want me to go? Go. So Leclerc was coming, being pushed fairly heavily by science for the last half of the race. Rightly so. Perez is on a tear and, and wants to, you know, form like keep that up. Um and he was going into the last chicane. You said science. Sorry, Leclerc. Uh, yeah. No, Leclerc and Perez. Sorry. Yeah. Leclerc and Perez. Perez was chasing Leclerc down. And uh Leclerc's as the Ferrari has just been hard on tires, he was he was struggling with tires. He was asking to come in toward, you know, because he was, his tires were cooked 15, 20 laps before, or, you know, halfway through the, the race at this point because we only had a 28-lap race. Um, but um, he didn't have the tire grip going into the final chicane, blew straight into the runoff area. Perez made the turn, 
came out of the turn. Uh, Leclerc comes off out out off off the track back onto the track right in front of him and then pushes him out like kind of closes the outside line out coming onto the start finish straight and Perez had to break um and and he finished in second place but it was everybody knew I knew it was going to be a, a fi- at least a 5 second penalty um for gaining an advantage by leaving the track which you cannot do it's a little less cut and dry when it's not when it's the leading car and not the the passing car usually that penalty is applied to when a car's trying to make an overtake blows the corner but um comes back out still in front because that's clearly they they gained an advantage they went from one position to a furthering a position but this is still he was gonna lose probably lose that he should lose that position especially because he went off um but he was more than likely going to lose the position anyways and um I what I think it was is I don't think that they knew it was the last lap. I don't think Leclerc knew it was the last lap. I think he could have if he would have known it was the last lap, he he would have probably driven that corner differently and would have um it wouldn't I don't think he would have made the mistake of locking up and going off. But again, that's all the error. That's still yeah. why didn't Ferrari cuz at this point in the race wasn't it on time? Well, I think it's on time, but I think there's, excuse me, there's still debate because they changed so many of the regulations based on what happened at Spa, and we can get into that and why points were awarded the way they were when we get when we get down to it. But it's it's not so. There's a difference between and I, I the race enlightened this to me. So go watch the race too, or listen to the race as well because they're the best. Um, but there's a difference between the three-hour time limit and the two-hour racing time limit. So let's we can kind of clarify that. A Grand Prix from start to finish has to take place in two hours if the if the race has started. That means total racing time that the drivers are on track and in the cars cannot exceed two hours. That can stop though. That that clock stops under red flag events. However, for sporting regulations and TV and and the FIA, and, and usually it also comes down to things like one of the reasons it came down to it, Suzuka was light because it's late in the afternoon and they were losing the light with the storm too. But there's a three-hour window that the race must, the racing event must take place once it started. So that means like form, I think that starts at lap one too. So that clock was the one that was running out. And then and it's um I think under the, the two hour um time penalty, it's when the leading driver, whenever the time goes, it's whatever one more lap after the lead driver crosses the line after the clock has gone. Just like qualifying. You can as long as you make it to the line, that next lap counts. But then it's the three hour, it's once it's that lap. That was the last lap. And you heard, you heard, uh, we watched some of the onboards um, to you preparing for the podcast. And there was, you know, many, many drivers were like, is that it? Are we still going? Like, as they were crossing that line, they're like, no, checkered flag, checkered flag. So there was, I think, some confusion as to when and what lap A they were even on, and B, if that was going to be the final lap, because they don't have the clocks in the car. You know, they don't know, they, can, they don't know that. Yeah, but the pits should. Pits definitely do and should. And I don't think that that was communicated maybe to a lot of the drivers, but we're hyper-attentive to the Ferrari situation because they've just made so many blunders. Between the two of them, it was their championship uh, to lose from yeah. the jump, and they definitely lost it. They did. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a real bummer, but he did end up, inevitably getting the penalty which brought him down to third place and really really close to getting um beaten by Ocon um for the podium which moving on to Ocon probably one of Ocon's best drives of his career and I and and I count that against his win in Hungary um because this was completely on merit 
like completely. Oh, yeah. His Hungary win, he inherited that race by by Botas knocking out half the field. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's helpful. Um, but this was he outqualified Alonso, he outdrove Alonso, and he he def- he defended Lewis Hamilton for the entire was, Grand Prix. That was wild, and we we were reviewing the Peter Windsor commentary. Very good, and. Um, and shout out to Peter Windsor. Hell yeah. Um, that um, he says this is absolutely the best drive Ocon has ever had, including his Hungarian yeah. for the reasons Andrew brought up. So it was um, in really tough conditions. It was really cool. Really tough conditions with a seven time world, world champion. champion behind you. Yeah. Who is talented driver in the wet. Yeah, you know, oh, and like yeah. I think Ocon, and I've been disparaging of Ocon, but he does have these moments where it's like, oh, maybe you are justified having a three-year deal at, yeah. at Alpine. Like that was a, a fantastic drive, really fantastic. I just think he has he's very prone to these up ups and downs, and his downs are very down. But like today, his ups are very up because he was at the end of the race, he was. Six tenths. Hamilton was six tenths off of Ocon, uh, and he was. No, it's like I'm looking like uh, less than a second. Yeah, six tenths. Six tenths. Thirty nine point six to forty point three. That's six tenths yeah. in my maths. Yeah, and then he was only two. Let's see, two seconds, roughly. One point. Nine seconds off of Leclerc for the podium. That's pretty impressive, especially when you're defending. Like, if he wouldn't have had Lewis on his back, I think he could have really easily been there because um, the Alpine looks great. Like, that's a, we were, when we were talking about how great when you were, you know, commending Adrian and them for, for building this title winning car, and probably one of the most winning Formula One cars in the history of the sport. When by the time the end of the season, Max sure does have a shot at breaking mm-hmm. Schumacher's record, or well, tied Schumacher Vettel's record for most wins in the season. Um, the other car that is a standout car to me is the Alpine. Like you talk about a consistently quick racing car. I I I struggle to see one that's done a better job. I mean the the out and out right points won't reflect. I don't think how good of a car Alpine has built um, because they've had some some issues with with that. But I think if you just look at pace, it's definitely more consistent than the Merck. It's definitely outperformed the McLaren. And then that only leaves the Ferrari and the Red Bull, which they've been ahead of them. I mean, if we're talking best of the rest category, I really think that if given all the points opportunities that it could have outscored the 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 Merck. Right. Well, I think the trajectory that Alpine has been taking throughout the season is uh, exciting to uh, consider what might be in 2023. And then that kind of makes it a little what bit... What could have been. Well, they've blundered it up well, pretty bad. Well, yeah, I mean which makes it hard to understand if the car is really on a upward trajectory like it appears why did why would Fernando want to jump ship other Money. than well or respect or I think we've yeah I, I think, think he was taken advantage uh, not taken advantage of but taken grant for granted definitely hey he's a french guy i mean he's a he's an iberian peninsula guy he uh alpine was the old renault that's where he won his world championships. Yeah. You know, I think they might have been relying on some loyalty, well, think, but it didn't pan. Well, I also think that they were just, he's he's old. And they're like, he's, you know, why, why I'm not, they're not going to give him a two-year deal because he's old and they don't think he deserved it. And Alonzo definitely had it in his head that he deserved it. And I think his, his performance has dictated that. He's outscoring uh, Ocon this season. Uh, let's see. Fernando Alonso, 65 points to Ocon's. Oh, no. Ocon passed him with that. Mm-hmm. 78. 
So, I mean, maybe they really did make the, the right decision in that. But I think throughout the whole season, nobody would disagree with me that Alonzo's had the better season. Well, the other aspect, you, we speak of his age, but age also means experience and has the information from, based on Alonzo's experience greatly added to the development of the Alpine. Uh, and, I mean, can, what kind of value can you put on that? I mean, and I think that's. I mean, I think that's what Aston Martin is hoping to gain too. Mm-hmm. I just think that Aston Martin's too far off for Alonso to really go there and make any sort of. I don't. I think he might be able to make a difference at that team, but will he be able to cash in on that and do anything with that? I don't know. Um, but while we're talking about Alpine, anyways, we do have to com- confirm. We it has been confirmed that Gasly will be joining. Alpine racing for the 2023 season. So that's a lot of French. Yeah. Right we got a French racing team with uh, two French drivers. drivers. And I, I really don't see a lead driver, though, in that lineup. Um, and it really is kind of going to be rem- like reminding me of when it was, you know, Ocon and Perez at Force India or, you know, some of those teams that just really haven't ever had a clear lead driver and i think that does create a lot of opportunities for some some bad instances between that when you don't have a clear don't, lead yeah driver. and i'm not privy to the relationship that the drivers have one to another but is will french nationalism play out here to where they will really work Together and no one's going to want to try. I think, I think it's when it's your when your ass is on the line, man. Mm. You're just wanting to beat him. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, especially just... Gasly, because it's a one year deal that Gasly got, and Ocon's on a three year deal. Yeah, so he's going to be trying to prove. And this is his very first drive outside of a Red Bull. This is the first time in his entire racing career that he's getting well, and I... it's his first time back at a main works team. He is going to be I'm excited to see like this is a this is Gasly's last shot. This yeah, is his that, moment. Yeah. That he's gonna either be he's gonna deliver, and that's hopefully if Renault has a car that they can deliver. And if it's anything like this car season and actually improves upon it, watch out. Yeah, it's gonna be you know, my general gestalt is that Ocon is probably number one driver. I think that's, that's how they have that's it. That's how they have it. But so far, they, as an Alpine, have kind of misjudged things. But as, as we saw with, oh, I don't know, I would have said Danny Rick was the lead driver when Max Verstappen joined the team. Mm, good point. And I would say, you know, uh, Sebastian Vettel was the lead driver when Leclerc joined Ferrari. And where are they now? <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> that's the, a great point. The yeah. proof is in the pudding. And I think, I mean, if you remember back to last year in the season that, that Gasly put together when AlphaTauri had such a competitive car, I mean, he was, he put in a Russell type season this year, even though Russell's falling apart the second I put him on my grid rival team again. But um, that's for later. <laughs> I, I, I totally relate. Yeah. Um, but, um, Gasly does have the ability, and but then the other dem- the other thing is 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 that does that ability only come when he feels a certain level of support the team has around him? Well, there'll be another year behind him. Uh, maturity gains, yeah, by leaps and bounds. Um, experience tempers a lot of of uh, rash moves, uh, and hopefully that translates to better driving and. And having a support behind it with equipment and staff and support staff, that really would help to develop him even further. I, I think it's just, I'm, I mean, things are going to stay basically the same with the cars, and so I think we'll see, maybe we'll have a lot more parity and it'll be a lot closer between the teams. Because really the funnest part of the race, particularly when we were looking at this race, is was the the race within the race. Oh yeah. You know, it's predictable who's going to win basically, or who's going to be on the podium at the least. And once I saw, once I saw Max get around the Claire 
at that first yeah. track. I was like, it's it's over. And I was calling that from the beginning. I mean, Max is so solid in the wet. He's on. I mean, the fact that he could clinch the world title at Honda's home race, literally the racetrack Honda built. It was the sing or the S- Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka by Honda. Yeah, <laughs> they had extra Honda sponsorship on the car. Like, I mean, it it it's pretty storybook. Uh, but it was also a lot of confusion, which we can talk about later because I really wanted to stick on on track here. But, um, yeah, I think. It, but like you were just saying, and then before I interrupted you, I'm sorry. Is that it was the kind of the back the midfield. And another point that was I that was brought up on the race and I really agreed with is is it showed that you can have excellent racing without a ton of overtaking. And without DRS, because we never had DRS enabled. Um, and it you know, it, it did show that like because honestly, sometimes the DRS specifically this season has been a little bit too powerful and it's just a open the wing walk by kind of thing, and that's not really an overtake. If you're if you're if you overtake somebody on the straight because you can and you have ten miles an hour advantage over them, what I want to see is is breaking 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 zone passes, you know what we saw with uh, Russell going through the the S's on the you know taking you know Latifi and Sonoda by surprise just passing people where they no one's expecting it to be passed. Those are the kind of overtakes that I want to see mm-hmm. and I think are more meaningful. And honestly, I didn't care that um I mean I was hoping Alonso uh, that Hamilton would get past Ocon, but I honestly didn't care cuz it was so exciting to watch lap after lap after lap trying to figure a way past him, you know? Yeah, uh, that 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 was phenomenal. Like uh, were you really missing the overtake, or did, I mean, you know, it was just, no. I mean, the racing because there was times where okay, Lewis is going to get him, yeah, and then he didn't, and the little, the little bits that happen during that process make so much a difference. It's kind of exponential that a hundredth of a second, late breaking versus early breaking. You, you can't make the pass. Yeah. And stuff it like that. It was also interesting seeing that it, through the the hairpin, the Y line versus the tight line. Yeah. And how, how that had changed in the wet. And everybody wanted to take that wide line because it, it had more of the more grip. And you would just see, you know, Hamilton would go for it on the inside, but then lose all of his traction mm-hmm. on the exit of the corner. And Ocon would, would retain the corner. It was just, it, but like them, you know, you would watch Hamilton just trying these new things, different setups, different, and it's just, it was just, a, it was a masterclass in Hamilton's driving behind, but also Ocon's defensive driving. Yeah, that was good. All right. Uh, so then moving on to P6, somebody I did put on my team who did not disappoint, and his last Grand Prix at Suzuka, boy, boy, that was a heartfelt uh, goodbye Uh off his lap of qualifying. I mean, he gave it everything he had for sure. Uh, Sebastian Vettel really loves Suzuka. It's his favorite track. I think it's most drivers' favorite circuit, and it is a, a special circuit. Let's, it was awesome to be back there. Um, and Vettel, you know, seemingly had a very bummer start to the race. Him Off the start, he had a, a pretty really great start against Alonso at the beginning, but you know, tried to go on the outside of Alonzo and, and they ended up making contact and it put tire, uh, put tires on the grass too. And so Vettel had a pretty significant spin that dropped him all the way to last place. Um, but made the right call. Um, him and Latifi made that where they were the first two drivers to, to jump from full wets, um, onto intermediates. And there is a point of clarification that I think we need to make that, the FIA has the power and did mandate full wet tires for the restart of the race. Um, but there is a lot of discussion talking about the wet tire and that it's really, they, most of the drivers call it a safety car tire. That really the only time that that, that tire is used is behind the safety car. And, uh, Scott Mitchell Mao from the race really said maybe that is its purpose right now is to clear a bunch of water 
from behind the safety car so that they can immediately switch to inters when they can. But there was no doubt that the inters were the tire to be on for for that race because, uh, you know, Vettel and Latifi put them on and were doing, what, like five seconds a lap faster than yeah. everybody else on wet. So uh, it paid off big for Vettel, um, and he, he jumped from, from last and ended up finishing P6, which is I think is a an absolutely fantastic result for that Aston Martin car and for him, and he can he can walk away from his final final Grand Prix uh, with his head held high, especially after that incident, that that last hairpin that he went with Alonzo. You want to cover that, Pops? Oh, well, that talk about a drag race. That, <laughs> NHRA at Formula One, and that coming out of that, well, the hairpin. Are you talking about Spoon? No, that's that's the Spoon is the back turn before yeah. R30, R30, well, R30R. So, so this, so this is the final hairpin. It's that little. It's a little right left, and then it goes on to the main yeah. start finish straight. I don't know. I can't. Um, I mean, it was a drag race, yeah. basically. I mean, they they both seemed to get good traction out of the turn, and I they were neck and neck, basically. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not so sure skill played into it. I think it was just raw horsepower. Which t- which car had the most? I think it was also that Vettel had that. The, the drier line and probably I bet you if we went back and watched uh, Alonzo's on board that we would have or hear significantly the more graphs yeah it, the traction graphs so indicate that but still it was and it was really exciting. great I, I, I highly recommend going back and watching the onboards if you guys got uh, F1 TV uh, but I don't know who Vettel's engineer is but he, he crosses the line and he's like you beauty you <laughs> That may have been, and I think Vettel Vettel says, "Well, I think we got him. We got him, guys." Yeah, those are that. That would be the that would be the one that would place our yeah place our moments with Martin. I guess we should have put that in. We didn't have a moment with Martin this race because Martin Brundle was uh, not commentating on Spa, Uh, but Jensen Button did. I do love. I think think there is a definite like. I mean, Brundle was a racer as well, but he hasn't been an F one racer for decades. Yeah. Button is a much closer, and I think his his analysis sometimes of like of like corner entries or like it it really does illuminate a lot. Well, of Well, it's race. based on the latest, you know, having experience in some of the, the more modern equipment. He certainly must have better relationships with the drivers, just by his being the age he is and racing with the majority of these people. Yeah. Uh, along and so I think he may have some insights. Um, I mean, what would be great is to have both of them, yeah, <laughs> commentating at the yeah. s- on the same race. It would be. I think you it, you can't have two racing driver commentators though, because Crofty definitely cues them up and fills yeah. them in. And yeah, I mean, just a shout out to yeah. Jensen. I no, mean, he's absolutely he's a great I really uh, like champion. It. He's and, definitely uh, better than Rossburn. Yeah. <laughs> like way better than Rossburn. Well, yeah, and. Uh, and so it was, you know, just a shout out to him because it was a, a great fill in for Martin. Yeah. And uh, actually very informative and very insightful. Uh, just the kind of thing you really. We also have. should probably talk about why, why we haven't talked about Carlos Sainz yet, because he definitely, you know, he qualified P3. Um, and then on on that lap one had a, a pretty big shunt where he uh, got into some of the standing water on the circuit and, and had a, a good old spin around um, and pr- ended up crashing into the well, wall. Well, and breaking then because of his position on the, at the start, there were a lot of cars in jeopardy and how that Oh, man. I watched his happen. onboard, too, and Lewis is onboard, and the, he's so lucky that him and Lewis didn't hit. Well, well anybody. Mean, and then when you're just, I can't imagine how terrifying it must be to, to have a crash like that know what visibility is like on the track and know that your front wheels are sitting on the edge of that track and you can't do anything about it. You're just sitting there like you're sitting duck. Yeah. Well, and then at once you get behind the first place car, the spray is so excessive in those conditions. I mean, some of those onboards, uh, you, it was like, guess like Tule fog. I yeah, mean, just guess there's, yeah. 
And how well do I have I memorized this course? Pretty, I mean, really, that's what it came down to, and knowing what speed you're at. And but then you, you know, we were watching Gasly's on board, and he's he dodged that Williams. I couldn't see it. That just, I, I don't know how he saw that car to miss it. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, and then signs, you know, just, just continuing his run of bad luck. But yeah, that was unfortunate uh, for sure. But you know, that's, that's why racing. he's not up top. Um, well, talking about up top, are we going to talk about the start again? Why? Well, no, we'll, we'll get to stroll soon enough. Okay. Um, next up after Vettel is obviously Fernando Alonso because they had that drag race at the end. Alonso really didn't have a great start or a great race, but he put in a very solid drive, um, finishing P7. Um, yeah, I don't think he would have. Loved that race, but still very good. And then Mr. George Russell coming in P8, um, which is exactly where he qualified. But I think he had a pretty gnarly start, and he dropped back a couple of places um, and had to because he did have to make some overtakes to get back to that P8. Yes, he did. Um, and then, wow, let's talk about a guy I really actually wanted to talk about for the first time in a long time is Mr. Nicholas Latifi. Mm. What a fantastic race he had. Yeah, I mean, back back runner, back marker, time and time again. and Didn't get out of Q1, yeah. started P20, finished P9. P9. Two points. That's... And I mean, and like he didn't, he didn't BS inherit that. That was all on him. And he now, this was one of the first time. First, he's now every driver has scored a racing point this season. Mm. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Well, I'm looking at the uh, the gap uh, between him and Norris, and it's like six tenths. Six tenths. Norris was coming back pretty quick. Yeah, and he held him off. Yeah, and and to his credit, he um, he uh, you know, he was like Seb, really early jumped on the inners, and that really paid off. But then, not only did he make that right strategic call, but then he drove the rest of the race that kept that call well. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. Made that a good call, and uh, you know, and still is looking like he won't be on the grid next year. And but drives like that, those are the ways to change that. Um. And it yeah it, definitely uh, and I think who was the guy the YouTube guy you like that we watched Peter Windsor Peter Windsor did make a good comment that it it, it did it did look more reminiscent of the F two driver that Latifi was that when he was, was winning the, when races he was a champion and, and in F2. yeah um, and it just didn't seem to happen for him once he got up into the big leagues of Formula One but um, moving on to the the downfall of McLaren against Alpine coming off of that great you know passing them in the constructors title at Singapore with their high finish in Singapore to their low finish here in Japan, Norris and Ricardo both finishing right in sync again, but 10 and 11 this time. Um, Norris had, had that really close call with Max in qualifying, which I luckily didn't end in catastrophe. Um, and no penalties, which I thought was interesting, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, pretty pretty quick reflexes on on Norris to to get off the track and miss that spinning out. Yeah, he got on the wet grass and and held it. But that um, uh, was that was impressive. Uh, I don't know what uh, Max was doing. I I think he, I think he just got had wheel spin. He just didn't. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, he, like, he was probably farting around because he was really slow in the corner there, and he was probably just seeing what it would be like with that level of moisture in the track. The problem is, is that he forgot to look in his rearview mirrors. Apparently. Well, I don't think he would have seen it because I just think that was a silly place to have done that. And that's what I was upset about is that you're right on the exit of 130R, which is a 180 degree corner. Yeah, yeah 180 mile an hour. Corner. 190 mile an hour corner. Yeah. And you can't see it. It's it's a right. I mean, for, for a long time of F1, that wasn't a flat out corner. Yeah. And when after he spun and the car was pointing look car was sideways yeah. in the road there was only a quarter of the trip he had taken up three quarters of yeah. the track and it was a miracle that 
Norris was able to dodge that and, I, and keep control yeah. getting on the wet grass. Yeah. I love that. We watched the onboard of that, and and then his engineer goes, did, did Norris, did, or did uh, Verstappen push you off? And he says, what do you think? <laughs> did you not that, see it? Yeah, that, we could we could have done notations with Norris on that one because that was a, I mean, it was classic British humor. And it was, what? It was, <laughs> it was good. Um, Ricardo, what are we going to say about Ricardo? Uh, uh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, I think he did actually, I don't think, Ricardo did actually put out a statement saying, very looks quite unlikely that he will be on the calendar or on, uh, in a seat next year after Ax- Gasly did sign with Alpine. That was kind of the last... I think realistic seat mm-hmm. that Daniel probably would have taken, but I think they said, "You left us two years ago. Mm. Um, you're not coming back." Yeah, maybe. And uh, especially after he left them to a team that they're now beating in the constructors' title, I I get it. I would have taken. I don't know if I would have taken Ricardo over Gasly, but it would have definitely been a toss up. Um. And he says, you know, that he's just going to be looking ahead to 2024. But I really don't see the driver's market looking anything nearly. It is, I think it's going to pick up right where it is right now. And I don't, I don't really see a seat that desirable opening up for Ricardo in a, a year from now than that's available right now, other than if we have a big shakeup in silly season like we had this year with, Vettel announcing his retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But the only person that I think that would be likely to retire at the end of 2023, or, or I don't even want to say the word likely, but the only one that I could see that would cause a shakeup like that would be Hamilton. Because Alonso got a two-year deal. He's that The whole reason he left was mm-hmm. to get that multi-year deal. Yeah, That would be the other person that I would think to retire. So really... I don't see a seat available again, but I hope there is because I do like Ricardo and I don't want his, the end of his F1 career to be this and his stint in McLaren. Like that is not what he deserves. That is not the cap on a, on a career that he's had. I I think he has, and he's 33. He's got a lot of driving left. He's got another, you know, he's not even close to his peak, especially if we look at what Alonzo says is capable in this new era, you know, that's seven more, eight more years of, of good yeah, driving. That's true. Um, so it does look like he's going to take a year off. It doesn't look like he's going to be doing any other racing. He says he's not interested in any other categories of racing, that his mind is still set on F1. And boy, I do hope that he can get it. And I hope for a couple more finishes like we saw in Singapore, that maybe make that a little more likely for him to continue on. Um, okay, P12, go <laughs> for it, Dad. Lay it on him. God, what a start. Really, Lance though. Stroll. Had. And I know a lot of people like to hate on Stroll, but I think he is actually of the kind of pay drivers or connections to seat drivers that we inevitably have in a sport like F1. He's actually does have... Skill to back Decent up. Decent skills. Maybe I'd explain that buying a seat thing. Well, like a, like Latifi. The main reason that Latifi has stayed at Williams for as long as he has with the underperformance that he has is that he brings a significant amount of backing with his drive. Like, and I mean, Stroll is the chief example of that because daddy bought the team, you know? like Right. And like, of course, he's going to stay on the team if your dad owns the team. Um but but Stroll, that start in the wet did show his bravery and his ability to just go up the inside and just drive straight past several cars where you cannot see what's happening. Yeah. Well, during that, how many how many places did he gain I on think that he, I, I want to say on, nine? No, no, no. It was like two or three. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was two. You I have know. to remember those are cars side by side that he's passing. True, but I, I thought it was something like eight or nine. No positions. It would it would have been four at the most. Then. Okay, but still, but to, to to not only drive 
past people when you're that close to a wall and that close to the grass and standing water because the, the track slopes right. down. Yeah. Um, that he... Uh, what was he thinking? And then, But then you're, you're also getting into more traffic by doing that as well. And then for him to negotiate the Joe spin, the science spin, <laughs> the a- Gasly incident, the Fernando and Vettel incident. I mean, that was, there was a lot of awareness. There was a lot of drive. There was some very good, even keeled level controlled driving that, that didn't really translate to a great position on, on, uh, on the end of the race, but boy, was made for some excellent. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to also consider his sudden weight gain. Oh, because I'm sure that each of his testicles weighed 20 pounds more <laughs> because you had to have them kind of cojones to make that kind of move. Right? Boy, howdy. And so. I mean, I guess it wasn't, at the end of the day, it was a per- fairly decent result for Stroll for not getting out of Q1, starting P19 and ending up P12. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very awesome move on the on. It the was fun to watch. It was really cool. sure. Um, Sonoda, I mean, I wanted him to have a better race it being his first, F1 race at his home circuit, but wah, 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 mm-hmm. really didn't end up very great for him. Magnussen was another great starter. He always does a great start. I feel like he's really good off the start, but then just doesn't go anywhere with it. Um, and then we have the very disappointing results for Botas and Joe. Boy, that car just really went nowhere fast all season long. Yeah, I was really excited early on. Yeah, about Alpha coming on and uh, well, they really have not kept pace with the rest of the field. And sure. then um, we had Mick Schumacher, who I think they just—I mean, he—they hung him out, went staying on the wets, and for a while was running up P two, and they and doing well for being on the wrong tire. Uh, and they were kind of uh, they they literally said it on the radio that they were hoping for a safety car or something to come in and stop and and maintain that that advantage and it just never came for him and then he did end up i mean when when cars were officially lapping 5 6 seconds you know they were having sectors of 2 seconds gains on him like mm-hmm. he they had to take him off the tires but then it was a, a a fairly costly pit stop there at Suzuka and it just relegated him to the back of the field, which is yeah, a bummer. Bit unlucky. Another driver really, really racing for a seat right now, um, and it 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 seems that it's been narrowed down to uh, Nico Hulkenberg and him, and it's just going to come down to uh, to how he finishes out the season, I think. And uh, uh, I don't really think I have a preference between <laughs> Schumacher and Hulkenberg. I I actually maybe. Slightly might lean toward Hulkenberg. I um, uh, I really, really always used to to like watching Hulkenberg when he was in his well, Force India days. He kind of always sort of landed on the unlucky side of things. Yeah, never really got a car he, yeah. that I think warranted his ability. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, and when he's filled in, I mean, he's done well. I mean, for uh, a long time, he had more racing points than Latifi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so, so yeah, I I'm I I would be excited to see Hulkenberg back in a seat because. Uh, he has definitely shown promise, and uh, and like we were talking about, he's just been on the unlucky side of luck, and that would um, it would be nice to see if he can pick up where he left off, or and see what he could do when he's actually in racing uh, fit at a race fit. Like well, he and he, he yeah, he's not. He's oh hey, whole season. You know, he's sitting on the couch at home and yeah. say, hey, we need you here. Can, can you come? Can you be here in two hours? I, I <laughs> you know kind of a thing. So. So time will only tell with that. And then that leaves us to P18, Mr. Pierre Gasly, um, which also brings us up to what I kind of want to close the episode out on that we, we've left to to hear is is what the heck was that that recovery vehicle doing on the track with Gasly going past it at uh, over 100 miles an hour? That was... That would be probably classified as... Not a big mistake, but a big ass mistake. Huge, especially geez. at the circuit where Jules Bianchi died, died yeah. from hitting a recovery vehicle. Yeah. And why we have the rules about not having recovery vehicles on track while cars are 
I mean, that's just, it just seems. Well, let's set the stage. I mean, he had come out of the pits. It was the yellow sector stuff. So he was catching up to the pack behind the safety car. Uh, and the last light he saw before he saw the recovery vehicle, which was, I think was driving at him. It, it would have, well, I think it, it would have been coming out from that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the, then the very next track light showed red, but that's too late. That's well, too and late. It, and it, I mean, if you know, they had to have known that they were going to red flag that, like that was coming. Why not wait until you've red flagged the, 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 the race to get a recovery? Well, at least go full. Safety car. Well, I think there w- there was a full safety car well, already w- at that. What point. was the light? I thought it was a yellow. Well, I light. still it's, I still think I still think it shows flashing yellow when it's a safety car. Oh, okay. I don't okay. think there's a determining light difference between safety. Maybe there should be. I don't know, but I don't I don't believe that there's a any way of. But well, he would have known he was behind a safety car. They would have told him because the safety car was put out before he while he pitted. Yeah. So I guess they're but that is to protocol. He's allowed to catch the back yeah. of the. Of and the safety so car. whoever let that recovery vehicle out on the track was clueless about uh, uh, Gasly coming up. Well, Peter and Windsor, who you have brought to my attention, who is an awesome, I really enjoyed it. Again, shout out Peter Windsor and his YouTube channel. Um, but he said, he's been saying this for years, and I think it's a great idea, is that as the FIA and F1 get better at creating management and systems and stuff which it should be doing and they're doing better but they i think they need to have like they have a racing director and stewards that are employed by f1 they kind of need to have a a marshal manager a lead team and a, and a team because for those of you who don't know i guess we should explain that marshals are volunteers they do have to take training and they they but but it's a volunteer basis because there's that, there's so many of them to be stationed around the track that that you know and I think they kind of go it's your your joy your pay is that you get to be so close to the right. action of the Formula One which my hands up I'll do it oh yeah <laughs> you know yeah. Um, but I think that that like he said a lot of these kind of blunders like putting a recovery vehicle out while race cars are still on the track having better wet weather protocol because he also made the point is that. It's very unlikely, even if we moved Suzuka's position on the racing calendar forward or changed it, the the temperature and conditions are usually year-roundly pretty similar. If we're coming in March after we go to uh, from Australia, or if we're coming, you know, late in no- October when we're coming from Singapore, Singapore yeah. that the weather and climate and the chances of rain are likely like identical. Time. Yeah, and so. They need to have better wet weather protocol. They need to know, like, if this is going to be continuously happening, then there should be better plans in place. And then the way to instill that or ensure that is that there is somebody whose job is to see that that training is taking place. And they're going there a month or two in advance before the race and practicing for these kind of conditions, training for these kind of conditions, and I just, it blew my mind that, like, why that just seemed like a no-brainer type. Yeah. Like, why isn't there a full-time marshals manager? Well, particularly, I mean, what kind of capabilities do we have on our F1 TV where we ha- where we can track the drivers on the track? You and I can do that from yeah. our home. Yeah. Why can't a safety team or a recovery vehicle team not identify someone catching up to the pack behind the safety car and wait till that person passes before you drive these uh, recovery vehicles on the track. Well, and, and, and he did have a good point too in saying that, you know, a marshal, their, their prerogative that is given to them by Formula One is get, get crap off the track as soon as possible. Right. But there needs to be somebody with enough of a, of a, of a title and a authority on the matter to go, not now. Like, hey, get that car off. And he goes, no, Gasly's out on track still. We're going to win. You know, like there needs to be somebody who has enough of authority to talk back and say this is an unsafe position to put marshals in. Mm -hmm. And as we're seeing in these later seasons, I I also think back to the Gasly uh, crash in in, in 2020 and also Joe's 
really gnarly crash mm-hmm. at Silverstone where he's in in position where marshals actually are and are walking and like like if we having these instances then like and honestly and obviously safety should be chief among which for both marshals and drivers and ever and fans and then i think it's crazy and they're actually opening themselves up to a huge level of liability mm. by not having you know a safety czar or a a marshals manager or some sort of position that that is their full-time job they're a they're a, a nice salary and they're dedicated to the training and the safety and yeah. the implement because it would also it would solve two two problems really mm. you're going to make the marshals safer and if you if they're safer and becoming more efficient then they will get things moved off clear faster Purifying. you know or like mm. the other thing that just came to my mind is sciences cra- uh, sciences retirement in uh in Austria when his car caught fire and was on the hill mm. and they couldn't they, you know they were well, put the fire out do we stop the car from rolling do we you know like yeah cuz you can't get the driver out of the car while the car's moving right and so um um who is it science was science just yeah. was applying pressure on the brake yeah, but all the while you know they were trying to get something to put behind the wheels but they didn't put the fire out like you know and i'm, and I'm sure you know adrenaline and craziness yeah. but but that would again that could be somebody's whole job is to stop review these instances when they happen then set game plans well, why not forward. have wheel chucks on inclines on the track sure but that's what i'm saying is some the, <laughs> you know they that's could a, be debriefing after every single right, race yeah. well and every and, single incident and then now writing protocol to then teach to the marshals moving forward. Well, and, and then Windsor was also talking about how this team ought to be meeting with the, this group of people uh, months ahead of yeah. the race yeah, yeah, yeah. to make sure everything's covered like, like this. And we know Brazil is coming up after U.S., and it's very much prone to wet weather tracks, mm-hmm. and it's very much prone, because it's an older track and an undulating track, to having these standing waters. waters yeah. And like, yeah, like ways of of uh, of moving forward. And I think somebody else, I think it might have been on the race. Um, they also said that maybe we should, if we are more prone to these wet weather scenarios and heavy rain conditions that we haven't yet seen in the past, that maybe we should be investing in new technology of racing surfaces and and ways of making water leave the track quicker. Like there's, I mean, we're talking about, there has to be, I've seen it on social media, these new roads and stuff that drain water at, at an incredible rate because there's new porous asphalt or something. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's that kind of technology. But just eliminating what they call the rivers, yeah, uh, where they have bank tra- banked uh, turns, well, water was going to come to a central position to or, evacuate. Or a running the, position across yeah, the track. And, and there's ways to disperse those rivers to drainage areas, uh, you know, a big investment in relaying track and putting these draining devices uh, in. Uh, but the alternative is not have the race that day. Yeah, well, we can't, I mean, there's, that's just with TV sponsorships and, and stuff like it's just going to be impossible. Yeah, like that's so hard to reschedule something. You know, that's like kind of that. easy for NASCAR because there's, you know, a 10th of the money involved. Sure. And uh, but I think they also have to, <laughs> well, they got these big trucks with jet engines yeah. on the back where they drive around the track and they blow the hot exhaust on the track. It dries it, That's blows it down. It's definitely an American way of thinking. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, but I think that it I works. Mean, we should invest as much advancements and technology and stuff that we put, that the drivers and teams put into creating a race car. I think they should charge the, you know, the race circuits with the same responsibility and saying, Hey, if there's a better substance that we could be making these tracks, paving these tracks with, because I want to see wet weather races. They're, f- they're awesome. Well, it's, it's a game changer. It's, it's a highlight. It's of a, the it's the great equalizer or the great Excel. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, or it, it, it highlighter. Out, yeah. It, it highlights know, the weakness and highlights the strengths and highlights the strengths who are willing to, uh, you know, or, or bravery at because least. Because that's just, a, like that's Russell just, at spa. Yeah. That's just another, um, 
example of expertise in racing. If you're a, if you're good in the dry and you're good in the wet, I mean, but I your think, skill will yeah. help you. I mean, that's what. But so many of the stuff, the other podcasts and stuff that I listened to, were talking about. Well, how are we gonna? How are they gonna engineer the cars to reduce the spray? But I'm like, that shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be designing cars for that. We should be engineering tracks to reduce the amount of water that stays and maintains on the track and let the engineers who are designing race cars try and design the fastest race cars. Or in this case, with the ground effect, the cars that will allow for better following, which is why the, they're, they're creating such sprays because ground effect cars throw the air up versus put the air right in the way mm -hmm. of the cars following. And so if they're throwing the air up, that means that when the when it's wet, the air is going to be filled with water. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's like duh. But I also don't think it should be on the responsibility of the designers of the car engineers. It should be on the racetrack engineers and the designers of racetracks. Yeah, try to get the water off the track as best you can. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's doable. It, it has to, do. to be. And yeah. So well. On that note, looking forward to the U.S. Grand Prix. Boy, I know I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. We sh we just got to get down there. One, you know, we got it. Yeah, yeah. And then, man, we got a really great run out to the season. We had we just had Singapore, we just had Japan. We got the U.S. Grand Prix. Then we got Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi left. And I know it's a little bit of a bummer because Ma oh man, we still have to talk. We forgot to talk about the world title. And the fact that Max is <laughs> Max is the the twenty twenty two World Drivers Championship. Second in a row. I mean, I guess that's kind of fitting because there was confusion at the race. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I love that. Uh, and you're world champion too. How about that? And he's like, "Am I?" You know, like I think he had to ask like two or three times. But one of the reasons there was so much confusion, and we did talk about talking about this, so we're going to get to it. But is um is that there after the farcical spa race last year where there where points were awarded for no actual racing laps um they they wrote a regulation that dictating a percentage and I'm sure if you watched the grand prix you heard them constantly talking about well if we get to 50% then we get this many points awarded and if we get to this many percentages then we get this many points and so but there was a there was a big part of the of the technical regulation that says that that is implemented that that whole protocol of of a points adjustment based on percentage of the race completed is implemented if a race is stopped and unable to be resumed due to due to conditions but that's not what happened at Suzuka the race started was delayed and then was resumed, and then they hit fifty percent, so they were awarding full points. So it was it wasn't really a loophole or a mistake. It was just a a, a clarificational miswriting of the racing regulations, and uh, it did lead to some confusion. And it is something that the FIA and Formula One and them really need to crack down on because. I would imagine a lot of you guys listening to this podcast are, you know, new to the sport. And even for, for us, veterans of the sport, it is confusing. So I can't imagine what some, you know, people just watching Drive to Survive coming new to the sport are going, these guys don't even know what the hell they're doing. Why should I, why should I tune in and watch mm. if these guys don't even know their own rules? And, and so, yeah, I, I really think the well, FI could have done better. And it really put a damper on, on Max winning his second world title. If it's Yeah, it really kind of... That's two. That's two world titles now mm -hmm. that he's won, where they've been up for debate. Right, and well, boy, we should also say that the news has come out. The FIA has officially, on record, said that Red Bull did. Oh yeah, overspend last season in the twenty 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 one drivers championship. They have not yet handed down a penalty. Um, but it is official. I know we covered a lot of this on the last episode when it was still rumored, but it, I do want to update you guys that it is official. The FIA said that they broke the cost cap. Horner is still insisting that they didn't. <laughs> um, but we're still waiting to hear um, what the penalty, and I would be I would be shocked if we don't have an update for you by the end of, by uh, wow. 
uh, the U.S. Grand Prix. I really think they have to have it. Well, I, I'm expecting it tomorrow, honestly. We're, for those of you who know, we're recording this on Sunday. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is Aston Martin Racing was de- it just determined that they did not overspend, but they it was them and Williams. They did have a procedural, procedural. faux pas. Probably a. I think it was both. They were. There was the timing in which they submitted it. Like I think for sure it was Williams. They submitted. Yeah, because those were the other two teams that were first being under suspicion. So uh, more more to follow on that. But um, yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, We're so excited, and if you can, you know, leave a comment, leave a review, follow, subscribe. Those all that stuff really helps us out. And I just like to see how many of you are uh, listening along. So. Um, we do really appreciate it. It's so fun to do this. And uh, yeah, thanks for you yeah. guys who, who listen. Hashtag having a bunch of fun. Heaps. Hashtag heaps. Hoops. Heaps and hoops. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dad. Have yeah. a good one. Good one, kid. <laughs>